One of the challenges that they faced was rescuing many of the prisoners who had been kept captive in the prison camps throughout the Pacific Islands. And as the line of troops would advance, they often wouldn't get to the camps before the people in the camps had been liquidated. Patience's, my wife Patience, her grandfather spent three years in one of these camps, so the cruelty was pretty significant that we have heard told from him. And so you can imagine the cruelty of this situation. And so the book Ghost Soldiers, or the movie, to some extent, uh, The Great Raid, tells the story of one particular rescue operation to attempt to get behind the lines and save a number of prisoners. One of the largest camps was Cabana Tuan uh, in the Philippines that held at least 500 prisoners that needed to be rescued. The uh, squad was put together of these rangers, army rangers, who were willing, a small group of men, willing to risk their lives to go some 30 miles behind enemy lines and seek to rescue these men. They uh, assembled on the day that the effort to rescue, to deliver these prisoners would happen, uh, out on the outskirts in the wooded areas outside, a long extents of thinly cut grass fields that surrounded this camp. And a P-51 airplane had been scheduled for the the Air Force to have that aircraft fly directly over the camp several times for really two purposes. One, to declare, if you will, to these folks in this camp the coming deliverance of the Philippines, that the troops were coming to rescue these people, and also at the same time to greatly distract the folks guarding that camp so that these soldiers coming in for the rescue could crawl the hundreds of yards across the grass to get in position for the attack. They did succeed as darkness fell to surprise and to move in and to deliver. In fact, it's the largest rescue, I believe, in U.S. Army history. Over 500 people were saved from this prison, were rescued and brought out with only two American lives lost. Whether we realize it or not, one of the things these verses this morning are telling us and reminding us of is that we're in a sort of spiritual war. And we're in a situation uh, outside the work of Christ of being prisoners, being trapped. And we live in a world that continues to want to put us back in that prison and we need rescue as well and that there's one that's coming that would not be a sort of covert uh, troops moving in like these troops moved in around this camp in the Philippines but one is coming who would be a mighty soldier a mighty warrior on our behalf who would rescue us in a very public and obvious way not by simply putting his life at risk but by willingly gladly giving up his life as the very weapon that would bring us out of this prison. That this is what is happening for us. And that we have these enemies before us, the world, our own sinfulness, and the evil one. And that just as certainly you can imagine any of these 500 men from this camp remembered for the rest of their lives that day when those troops came up to rescue them so too, 
We are to remember, to recall, not just occasionally, not just sort of at Christmas time, but to remember on a daily basis, on a regular basis, that we've been rescued. That one has come to save us and deliver us. And we're to receive that. And it's to transform and to change us. That's what these verses are teaching us. So if you're a person that wants to sort of encapsulate that all into a main idea, you can see on the back of the bulletin, there's a section for you to follow along with some of the things I'll have to share today. And I think the main idea is this, that God declares deliverance in these verses through Jesus. And follow along with me. We should receive the release of his redemption. Okay? What is that talking about? What is this release of redemption? What does it mean to receive that? The Bible constantly uses and interchanges a bunch of different illustrations. The one I just talked about, prisoners being rescued. Another one, if you look with me in verse 68 of this passage we've read, it says that blessed is the Lord God of Israel. That just means praised. He's to be praised. For he has visited and redeemed his people. Another word there that we use is redeemed. It has this, carries this idea of someone being bought out of a situation of being in slavery, being freed in that way. So these images, prisoners being rescued, slaves being set free, all of them are telling us that we're to receive this gift of rescue and be changed by it, be changed through it. question for us this Christmas season is, what does it look like on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week, to receive what Christ has done? To have it come into our lives and to bring transformation for us. We, we want a lot of things probably this Christmas season, and some of them not too bad. We perhaps want some gifts. We want some good time with family and friends. We probably want some time off of work. These verses remind us of what we need. What we need is rescue. What we need is rescue, again, from this threefold enemy that we have, our own selves, the world, and the evil one. We need rescue from our own sin that constantly pulls us away from a vibrant relationship with Christ. We need a rescue, a deliverance from the world that's full of all of these structures that that keep us from really glorifying or seem to keep us away from glorifying God. We need rescue. We need deliverance from the evil one who, I can guarantee you, wishes none of us any well this Christmas season. He doesn't wish us any uh, merry messages of good tidings and joy. He wishes us only bad tidings of discomfort and destroying. That's what he wishes for us. So we need to be rescued and These verses invite us to receive more of that, dwell upon it, rejoice in it. As we look at this then, there's three ways these verses describe it, and I want to work down through this passage a bit. The first thing is that this this deliverance that comes that is, is intended to have a significant impact in our lives is a forceful deliverance. Look with me at verse 68 again. Uh, Actually, jump with me down to verse 69. It says this there says he has raised up, referring to Christ here, raised up a horn of salvation for us. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us. We're like, it's a nice instrument. I'm glad the horn's a good thing. like to hear it played. So, well, the, the horn picture here is a, is a power, an image of power, of 
strength of force. That's the idea that's meant to be conveyed here. If you jump on with me down a few more verses, verse 71, it tells us what this, again, the forceful nature of this deliverance, that we're going to be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. There's a rescuer. Somebody's going to come in and deal with our enemies. Isaiah 6 last or 9 last week we, we looked at and talked about mighty God. That was one of the descriptions of Christ, that he comes as mighty God. He comes with power and with strength. What does it look like then for us to receive the release of our redemption from a forceful deliverance that we're given through Christ? Well, what it means for us is that in places where we're wrestling with anxiety, with fear, there's things that keep coming back to our mind that we can't seem to shake. We can know that there's a forceful deliverer. He can handle whatever problems we want to bring to him. Places where we're trapped, we seem to be snagged and ensnared by idols that we continually go back to and continually fall down to. It can be our success. It can be our performance. It can be our reputation. It can be the things that we're addicted to in this life. Those things are coming to us from every different direction, it seems. And if we're really wrestling to walk with the Lord, we're going to be discouraged. We're going to feel like I've got no power to handle walking with the Lord. Well, we've got a forceful deliverer. He comes in and he has power to rescue us and he invites us to trust in that. He also invites us even in something so simple as this Christmas season. We all know, probably most of us in this room have been around long enough to know that there's a lot of hype to this season and the feelings we have, even the sort of well-intended spiritual feelings that we intend to have during this season, it never lives up to all of its hype. It never quite gets to where we know it really ought to be. And at the same time, we face at every turn things in this life that are really discouraging to us. Loved ones that are going through difficulties, issues we're wrestling with. And so we need something to remind us that there's a power in this life. And that power is going to work transformation to a certain extent in this life. We have the great joy of knowing that this powerful deliverer will certainly deliver us into an eternal salvation. One day, we will all who have put our trust in Christ be with him. It's a forceful deliverance. It's ironic and interesting in light of that. The prisoners, some of them at the camp that I described earlier, when the troops arrived to rescue them, these men had been held there for who knows how long, had suffered all kinds of difficulties and pain and all the situations you can imagine in that camp. And yet some of them were unwilling, did not want to leave with their rescuers. Tough as the camp was, as difficult as it was, they had seen other people try to escape and fail. They at least had some predictable existence in this camp. They weren't sure they could trust that those soldiers were going to take them out and get them out of there safely. They weren't sure they could trust that deliverance. We're invited to trust today in Christ that he can indeed deal with whatever issues we have going on. He's a forceful deliverer. Second thing we see in these verses is that this is a foretold deliverance. 
It's a foretold deliverance. You'll see what I'm talking about as you look at verse 70 with me. It says that as he spoke, describing this prophecy, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. This was predicted from the prophets of old. Verse 72, jump down there. It says there's a mercy that's been promised to the fathers beforehand. And then it goes on that this is about the holy covenant. This is about an oath that was sworn to Abraham. What is all of that talking about? What is all of that talking about? It's telling us that this isn't some new idea. This idea of deliverance of salvation is not some new plan. In fact, if you look at the Bible and go all the way back to Adam and Eve, they were God's people under God's plan, in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. They fall into sin. They are evacuated from God's place, the Garden of Eden, but God in His grace continues to have a plan for them, continues to show them His rule and blessing. He promises to establish them as a nation. They eventually become a a nation under God's rule and blessing through an earthly king in this place of Israel. We see that coming in. Eventually they're exiled because they didn't seek the Lord in that place and under that plan. There's 400 years of silence. Then Jesus comes in and says, hey, the plan is still being Continued, I'm bringing the plan to fruition. There is God's rule, God's blessing, God's place. It continues, and it's in a heavenly place for us. And then the book of Revelation, to give you a brief Bible overview quickly, tells us about God's rule that will be in eternity, in God's place, heaven, that God's people who are called by him will be there and will delight to be under God's rule and blessing. This is the message that's carried all the way through. And when these verses speak of what was promised beforehand and the oath that was sworn and specifically speak to Abraham, it's taking us back to one particular point along the way, a a marker. You know, you're traveling on a trip. I I love MapQuest because it helps you get where you're going. And they're starting to get a thing on there where they tell you to look for a street before the street that you're looking for. But you know, the, the problem with MapQuest, and all of y'all have the new thing probably, the little GPS deal, but all of them, you know, they don't tell you, hey, look for McDonald's before you, you know, the McDonald's before you, they can't tell you that yet. But it's these landmarks along the way that really help us to get where we're going. And this promise to Abraham was one such thing. You remember back in Genesis 15. That story of Abraham receiving the promise from God. And the covenants were made in the ancient world by two people locking hands and walking down through the middle of these two you know, halves of dead animals that they had cut in half. And the message was real evident. It was like a legal contract, but it was with some extra imagery to it. And that is, if either one of us breaks this deal, we deserve to end up like these animals that have been sliced in two. That was the message. And you remember what Abraham is doing as the smoking pot symbolizing God's presence comes down through the middle of those halves? God had put him to sleep. He put him in a nap so that he could demonstrate that the promise is going to be fulfilled, his deliverance is going to come by God taking upon him the cost to fulfill it because he knew that we would not be able to hold up our end of the deal. So this is a foretold deliverance that we see. And I want you all to see something that just really, it goes even more than that. Okay, so that's, let's say that's the big, that's the whole field there. That's the 100 yards. Let's zoom into the, you know, the first down territory here, 10 yards. 
if you zoom just into this passage, too, I think you're going to see something that really struck me as I was looking at these verses. Who's speaking here? Who's prophesying? Zechariah. What just happened in Zechariah's life? Long-awaited son is born. Okay, Jesus is yet to come. Who gets all the airtime except for one little verse in this whole prophecy? Jesus gets all the airtime from Zechariah. The guy's been silent for nine months or so, and this is what he has to declare to us. And it just struck me as I saw that because there are so many good things in our lives, and many of us are enjoying them right now. The blessing of a, of a new child, the blessing of a promotion, the blessing of being part of a church like ours that's growing and loving one another, the blessing of hopefully seeing other people around us to come to know Christ and reaching out to them. Those are all good things. In each one of those things, though, these verses, I think, are reminding us that for every one verse, for every one sentence that we would say about those wonderful things in this life, we ought to say ten things. We ought to say ten, a hundred praises to Jesus for who he is and how he is working. We see this with Zechariah and his prophecy. It's a foretold deliverance. How do we bring all this together? You've got this huge plan. We're drawn up into it. What do we take from that? God's got this plan from all eternity. Well, on the one hand, it's incredibly uplifting, isn't it? That out of his universal plan and design for centuries and nations to come and through the work of Christ and through these prophecies that we see that God would come and would desire to show mercy and grace to us who don't deserve it. That's an uplifting thing. That strengthens us. It gives us an identity. You're wrestling with identity, with who you are. Know today, if you're in Christ, you are uplifted because God has chosen you to be part of His glorious plan. It's uplifting. It's also incredibly humbling, too. It's really humbling to realize that we've been drawn up into this thing, but it's actually not about us. It's not about us. And like Zechariah, who's excited, he's Long-awaited son has just been born. He hasn't been able to talk for a while. And what does he talk about? Because God is leading him to talk about it. God's working through him. He spends ten words on Jesus for every one word about what's happened with his son, John, or going to happen with him. That's the power of this foretold deliverance. Last thing we see in these verses is that it's a forgiving deliverance. Uh, you can have, uh, and, and we see this in a couple of verses here. Look with me at 77 and 78. It tells us, you know, it's funny, even, okay, so maybe there's three verses about John the Baptist, but what's interesting is two of his verses, two out of the three that he's kind of referring to him are really about what he's going to say about Jesus. So he doesn't even get the full bit of that. It says in verse 77 that He's going to come and, and share about a message of salvation for his people, about forgiveness for his sins. Well, John can't really bring that. Only Jesus can bring that. He's the one that's going to bring it. And then verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God. God's mercy, God's forgiveness is how he brings about his deliverance. And you can have different kinds of deliverings. 
Now, you can be, have a military deliverance. You can have a political deliverance. This is the spiritual. He's reminding us here that the message is about a spiritual deliverance. That's what we need the most is to be delivered from the cost and penalty of our sin. We're given this deliverance. And it also reminds us here that, you know, you can show mercy and have forgiveness for someone, somebody in a tough situation. You could look at those folks in the prison camp and say, I'm really sorry. You could send some stuff to them to help them out. It's a whole other thing to go in and rescue them and bring them out of the situation. So I want you to see that. that It's a forgiving deliverance. Forgiveness is part of our deliverance, a bigger picture of Jesus bringing us out. I'll close with this story. Uh, many of you are probably somewhat familiar with the story of the missionaries in the 1950s who went down to uh, Ecuador seeking to reach the, the natives of, those, of that region, the Wadani, Wadani Indians in particular. Uh, Nate Saint was among them, Jim Elliot, and I didn't jot down the other two gentlemen, but four gentlemen. They were down there in the region with their families and friends uh, nearby, some of their relatives nearby. Several of them were married with young uh, kids. They loaded on a plane and had made sort of a, a few recon trips into the area to see how they might land and to try to communicate to the, the natives there that they were coming for good purposes. Uh, they had taken along with them in their plane uh, one revolver. The purpose of it was in case, as they were sort of camping, that they encountered any wildlife or any dangers, and, but they had vowed that because they were coming in the name of Christ for his kingdom purposes, they would not use that revolver to defend their own lives. And many of us know the story of those men who landed that small aircraft in that riverbed, and later on some of those in the Wadani tribe would tell from their side what happened, but they perceived these missionaries as a danger to them, attacked them, spearing all of these men to death. Not one shot was fired from the revolver. Years later, not too many years later, the, that, that's an amazing thing, what I just described. Perhaps the more amazing thing, or equally amazing, is the wives and family members, including Elizabeth Elliot and um, Rachel Saint, Nate Saint's sister, Elizabeth Elliot was Jim Elliot's wife, who came back to the same people who killed their husbands and brothers to deliver the message about Christ. And indeed, the tribes people began to receive it. This story is taken from Rachel Saint's journey, a journal, and she wrote this about one night when they began their work with the tribes. She says, Tonight I was sleeping in the hammock, and I heard a noise. Somebody was walking around in the dark. It was Minkai, one of the men who killed Rachel's brother, Nate. Minkai sat by the fire wanting to talk, and he said to Rachel, You said, Wyangongi, the Creator, that's their name for God, the Creator, is very strong. Rachel replied, Minkai, he is very strong, and he's made everything here. Minkai said, you said that he could even clean a person's heart. My heart 
is very, very dark. Can he clean even my heart? Rachel said, he's very strong. He can clean even your heart. She wrote that Minkai actually got up and just left at that point, and she didn't know what was going on. The next morning, he came back and said to her, what you said is true. I've been speaking to God. He's cleaned my heart. Now it's Waiatamo. It's as clear as the sky when there's no clouds in it. God's forgiveness of us is absolutely essential to our deliverance. And these are wonderful verses that speak to us wonderful things about the power of that deliverance to work in our lives, the the forcefulness of it, about the reality that when that deliverance comes into our lives, we're uplifted into this plan and purpose that God has been carrying out through the generations. We're also humbled by recognizing that it's His plan and His purposes. That's what our lives are for. And lastly, we see here the power of God's grace and forgiveness that we so desperately need. And it's through receiving that, through receiving the release of that, that we're able to then begin to walk in a way that is pleasing and uh, pursuing the Lord and desiring to walk with Him. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do give You praise again. We, we give You praise for sending this deliverer for, for us. Uh, we are a people who are in need, were in need, will continue to be in need of rescue. And we thank You for paying the price that was required for that. Lord Jesus, we thank You for bringing this deliverance. And we ask this Christmas season in particular that we would have a growing reception, a growing receiving of all that Your redemption means for us. We ask this in Your name. Amen.